we go. Okay. Beginning of the sermon. We don't want to put announcements up on the radio, on the website. Um, I don't, my guess is many other people feel the same way I do. Um, but I think this was a kind of an embarrassing week for us as a nation. Uh, I had a busy week. Started coaching middle school. Uh, hadn't done that before. I always feel uh, a little bit stressed in new situations. Um, some people get excited about those. I, not me. I, I like comfort and uh, familiarity. Um, but we did that every week. We have our first game coming up on Tuesday, and it's been great. And there's been other things. Started Floodgate. I was teaching with Floodgate on Wednesday, um, and I'll be doing that uh, so it was, it was busy. So by the time I got to Tuesday already, even though it was early in the week, I was tired. And um, we uh, sat down to watch the debate. And um, I went to bed thoroughly. Uh, I don't know what the word to describe it. Depressed. Um, just feeling down, feeling a little bit hopeless uh, that at least the two major parties in our political system that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the TV and thinking there's got to be a better way to go about this than this. Um, I was talking to someone this morning who said the, you know, the headlines around the world uh, were pretty telling about how everyone else viewed that um, that night. Um, a lot of mockery. Uh, and I just wasn't ha- I finally went to bed. I stopped watching and went to bed. Um, not feeling very up at all, tired and feeling that there was little hope uh, for this getting better in any other elections um, or any other debates anyway. Um, Then, you know, we have the news that the president has COVID uh, midweek. And I I didn't see much on my own feed with the people I'm friends with, uh, but I saw some, you know, just horrible things on Facebook. Um, from people who, who do not appreciate our, our president and whether we appreciate our president or not. Um, I really don't wish ill on anyone. You know, I remember as a little kid watching the Giants. We watched the Giants growing up. Uh, my dad was from New York, and so we always watched football. And um, I remember I was really young, and they might have been playing a, a rival, maybe the Cowboys, who knows, you know, and some famous running back uh, goes down injured. And I remember thinking as a kid, as a little kid, immature, just like, all right, we got a chance. You know, my dad was like, hey, we, we never we never cheer for someone to get hurt. That's never a way to win. And I remember it. You know, I don't remember I don't remember the setting. I don't remember where I, you know, how old I was. But I clearly remember that lesson from my father. And. I don't it's not right to wish harm on anyone. I hope our president recovers uh, more than that. I hope that people are kind um, with that news and that we are hopeful for recovery. I don't want to see anyone sick. Um, <clears throat> and so we have this. Uh, we're in this season where opinions are pretty strong. Um, and pretty divided. And, uh, you know, opinions about face masks, pandemic protocols, you know, the parents are 
concerned about school now and this and and i heard that you know one school we're allowed to go and watch the kids play and at our school they're not allowed to you know watch them play and there's and parents are really divided and upset over things um the face mask debate <laughs> is pretty strong um racism and law enforcement um social justice the opinions are very, very strong. Politics, like we saw on Tuesday night, extremely strong. And, and part of me wonders if this pandemic, which kind of hangs over the whole world, um, is bringing out true colors, um, some opinions that were buried, and now there's fear and maybe sort of a grabbing for something solid, and so we're grabbing for these opinions. And if we come across someone with a different opinion – um, there's this, there's a lot of lashing out, a lot of lashing out. And that's pretty much, I felt like what I saw on display on Tuesday night from both candidates, just unfortunate things that were said, lashing out, like we can't have different opinions and still talk constructively about what's best for our nation and politics and law and finance and all those sort of things. Um, <clears throat> I believe that one of the primary marks of the church should be love. And unfortunately, I think we've seen the church very much wrapped in in all these debates in ways that get ugly. Um, even, you know, before this started with the, the vaccine debate, even within our own church, we have people on different sides. And for the most part, we worship together. Um, but there's still un unfortunate comments that went out. Um, but the mark of the church is love, loving one another. And so it's it's interesting, we come to this part of the story, which is very driven. We're at a point where things are moving into, if we were to divide Acts into four parts, we're in the last part, we're in Acts part four. And in this part, I mentioned this last week, Paul is going to Jerusalem and there he will be arrested. And for the rest of the book of Acts, he is uh, he's in custody. And yet the word of God continues to grow and spread. And that's part of the, the miracle that we're going to see in this next part. That despite being bound, despite being in custody, the word of God continues to move. But on the way to that uh, point, we have this this. This is an interesting story, and usually you know how I, I work if you've been here. I like taking large chunks. Today, no kidding, three verses. We're looking at three verses. I don't know if I've ever done that. But what we see there is so amazing, and I believe so uh, relevant to where we are uh, in this nation. Not as a, only as a nation, but as a church, as a people that are called um, to follow God, to emulate what Jesus lived and said, uh, to live out his teachings. We see that in this passage in striking ways. So Paul is on his way to uh, Jerusalem. He feels compelled. And if we're going to read a couple passages that lead up to chapter 21, we read this, I believe we read this last week in Acts 19.20, as we wrap up the, the third part of the book of Acts, 
It says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Acacia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. Now, Luke is writing this. Luke is the author. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see something very familiar here. Because in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And from there on out, from Luke 9 till the end of the book, there is this pressing uh, itinerary, a pressing mission on Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Now, we can read the writing on the wall. I think Jesus understood that was what was coming his way. I don't think you need divine foreknowledge to understand how this was going to end, and I believe Jesus knew that. But he knew he had to do that. And so we see a very similar theme happening here with Paul. As we get to Luke's second volume, Luke is still the author, we see that a similar thing happen with Paul. And he says, he felt compelled by the Spirit to go over, and after that, to Rome, to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And then we see it again in Acts 20, verse 22. So that was Acts 19, 20. Acts 20, 22, it says, Paul says, and now I am bound by the Spirit. I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So he kind of does know what's ahead. He just doesn't know the specifics. He can also read the writing on the wall with all the conflict he's gone through. But what I love there is three times there we see the mention of the Spirit. I'm bound by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells me. And then in Acts 19, impelled uh, or compelled, I'm sorry, and compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So as we read this, uh, we're thinking, gosh, you know, we've always seen in this book, Luke is talking about the work of the Spirit. And it's a book about Jesus and Jesus' work through his people. But the Holy Spirit's a major character in this book, moving. Despite jail time, despite beatings, despite conflict, um, we see these beautiful moments where the Spirit breaks through, people come to faith, and the church continues to grow. And we see that happening with Paul. The Spirit is now moving Paul, even though it's he, he believes he knows it's not going to end well for him. He's moving him forward. So then when we get to chapter 21, we see this next phase, one step closer. Just a couple verses. After saying farewell, farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. Next day we reached Rhodes and went to uh, Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left. He's obviously not a sailor. Is that leeward or anyone know? Starboard? Leeward? I don't know. It's just on the left. It's on the left. And landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. So he lands in Syria. Paul is now in Syria. And uh, we have this. He meets these believers in verse 4. We went ashore. We found the local believers and stayed with them for a week. Now listen to this. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on 
to Jerusalem. If we just stop right there. As I read up on this, top scholars that have been reading these incredible books, I got one book that's this big. I mean, it is so thick on the book of Acts. And every single one is scratching their head on what's going on here. Because now we see that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the people there, the, the church there that Paul finds in the city, and says, uh, through the Spirit, don't go. And already we've read three times that Paul is led by the Spirit to go. Do we go or don't we go? What's the Spirit leading here? If we want to know what God is up to, if we want to see what the next step is, what is it? Because we're getting contradictory statements. I was thinking of John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples before. It's at the Last Supper. It's before he goes on to be arrested. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The Spirit leads into truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. The Spirit leading to all truth. And yet here seems to be leading in two different directions. Now, is there some new plan that Paul didn't know about? In the you know, As the, the chapter, it's not printed for you, but the next few verses, this happens again. It is next stop. People say, don't go. You're going to be arrested. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Don't go. Leading by the Spirit. Prophesying. Speaking in the Spirit. Don't go. Paul, three times, saying, I feel compelled to go. What do we do? Is it a new plan? Is God testing the resolve of Paul? Is there a misinterpretation of the Holy Spirit? Is there deceit? Maybe someone's trying to trick him. False assumptions. The thing is, if we honestly look at this simply, and again, all these books I read said the same thing. We just can't find these other explanations in here. There doesn't seem to be any deceit. These people seem to be very warm-hearted towards Paul. They want the best for him. Um, we've seen plenty of suffering, so that's nothing new. We just have the Spirit leading in two different directions. So we have two different groups <laughs> that disagree on the Spirit's leading. Two different groups reaching different conclusions about the Spirit's work while they're both faithfully attending to the Spirit's leading. Right? Am I right? Is that a head-scratcher? What do we do with these differing opinions? Seems like the Holy Spirit is uninterested in easy solutions. Seems like the Spirit is uninterested in easy solutions sometimes. Have we felt that way at times? Which way do I go? Get good advice from trusted people on both sides? What do I do? What do I do? Part of what this, you know, the Spirit leading people and people speaking on behalf of the Spirit, we would call that uh, a biblical term would be prophecy. And so one way to untangle this a little bit anyway is to understand what that means. And sometimes it can be confusing because when we read the Hebrew Bible, prophecy looks a little bit different than what we see in the Christian scriptures. 
So in the Hebrew Bible, particularly with the prophets, where you have all these books, just page after page after page of books of prophets, it's usually, it comes across prophecy and the moving of the spirit moves with someone and they say, thus saith the Lord, and that's it. It's like there's just this, they're just speaking God's words clearly and directly, do this. And it's usually some sort of a conditional thing. If you do this, then if you do X, then Y will happen. There's, you know, there's consequences. And usually the prophets are speaking out in terms of the, the covenant, Israel's covenant. If you don't live up to your covenant, if you don't live in love towards God, if you're not in fellowship with God, then things will happen that aren't going to go well. And so it's a very, if X happens, then Y will result. That's what we see in the Hebrew Bible, often, all, you know, just all over the place. And so I think sometimes we transfer that and we read it in the New Testament and say, okay, well, that must be the same type of thing. But in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. Um, people with this gift of the Spirit that speak prophecy um, is more of a sort of a general truth that is to be sifted and weighed and evaluated. Paul, he's writing to, uh, in, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks about this. There's, there's people very gifted in, in Corinth, but things are getting a little bit out of control, and you, you have a little bit of you know, opinions on who's right and who's wrong, and it, it gets a little unwieldy. Maybe not as much as last Tuesday night, but it's, it's a little out of control. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, says, Let two or three prophesy... And let the others evaluate what was said. So we see that there's a little bit of an evolution in what prophecy means. In the next few verses, if you went and read ahead, you will see kind of an example of what we see in the Hebrew Bible. A guy comes up to Paul and binds himself up with the belt and says, if you continue on to Jerusalem, then you will be bound. This is what is in store for you. That feels like what we see in the Hebrew Bible. But what Paul writes to the Corinthians is that these people who are being led by the Spirit says, you know, let two of you speak this truth, but the rest of you need to weigh this out and test it, sift it. This collective sort of discussion about what God is up to. And so it's hard. I think that's going to be very difficult for us um, in America because we seem to be very concerned with what is right. <laughs> what is the right thing to do? What is the way to go? And I, I think if we're honest and we look at this and we're trying to understand what God is up to, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around the idea that God would lead people in seemingly different directions. We want to know which is the right way. Which is the right way? Now, what's interesting is in 1 Corinthians, Paul has already written about prophecy in the previous chapter. This is famous. We know this one. We've heard it at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read verse 4 to 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record, none, of being wronged. 
It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every, every circumstance. Here we go. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial, it's incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Three things will last forever, okay? This is what we want to focus on. These things are going to last forever. I want to know what they are. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. The greatest is love. So here Paul seems to say that these gifts that are given in the Spirit will be passing away. And yet I think... If I'm honest with myself, I still want to look at that passage and say, but it's still the Holy Spirit moving. Which way is it? <laughs> Which is right? What's the right thing to do here? What's the right direction to go? And I'm talking about tough issues that I already listed out. Racism, how do we fix it? Opinions all over the place. And sadly, part of those opinions are that it's not an issue. <laughs> Some of them seem obvious to many of us, but how do we move forward? Well, Paul says that things will become clearer, and so I think if we move on to this scene, uh, what we see is something quite remarkable. So in verse 5, we don't know. He's there a week. Maybe they discussed this at length, what to do. I don't know. Maybe they pleaded with Paul. But as they stay there, it says, when we return to the ship at the end of the week, I love this. Try to picture this in your mind. The entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. And there we knelt, prayed. We said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. So I, I think if we're looking for something clear here, perhaps it's the response, it's the community that we see. They go down to a beach. We got a beach right over there. We had a baptism there not long ago. It was one of the most beautiful things I've seen in North Harbor history. Being on the beach in the sun, hearing Julia yell out her commitment to Christ so that we could all hear. So here we have another beach, which is interesting. This is where sand, this is where land and water are divided. 
right? When we read about the creation of the world, what we see is chaos. Everything's mixed together. It's chaotic. God comes in, the Spirit of God. If we're talking about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God comes in and brings order. And part of that order is that there's difference. There's land and there's water. There's a sun to rule the day. There's a moon to rule the night. There's waters above and there's waters below. There's male and female. Difference. And yet working together. And so perhaps the sign of a thriving world isn't necessarily that we all agree on things, but that we can come together and pray and love. And the feeling you get from this is that they are sending Paul off. They've probably pled their case, but they love him. Do they want to see him get hurt? No, but they love him. Do they have different opinions? Yes, but they love one another. It's at a beach. That's a place where journeys start, where journeys are received. I love that picture of them praying on the beach. Jesus said to his disciples, um, John 13, he says, uh, Dear children, I will be with you only a little while longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't find me where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right? That last statement. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not necessarily winning an argument or being right. One of the primary marks of the church is love and unity in the midst of division. I love this uh, quote. It says, God's spirit isn't just about figuring out what decision to make. It's also about experiencing the joy. Get this. It's about experiencing the joy and the distress that come from being committed to other people with whom we might disagree. The scene closes not with agreement, but with a shared commitment. Now, this is going to be tough because these are big things that our world is dealing with right now. But it is an incredible opportunity for the church. And if we want to welcome people in, I believe what we need to show people is that above our opinions on how things should be handled in our country is that we love one another. We don't have to dis- we don't have to agree. We can disagree. <clears throat> I think often we're so concerned. I mean, again, these issues are really important. Racism is really important. Violence in America really important to deal with. And we can feel strongly about our opinions, 
But often I think that we end up making God in our own image. And it's wrapped around what we believe to be right or wrong about what those opinions are. Here, we see an example where the opinions of what Paul should do, what's best for the church, is superseded by their love and their commitment to one another and praying for one another. A church that is united amidst their differences. We have a great opportunity ahead of us. The Holy Spirit, you know, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit is radically free. Radically free. And hard to grasp at times. I think of that time where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and he says, no one revealed that to you. <laughs> Your father revealed that to me, to you. Or when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus or the religious leader in the community and he says, the spirit's like wind. You really don't know where it's going or where it's come from. Oftentimes we have our opinions and we put it ahead of what the spirit's doing. Sometimes in this case, we, we have a clear sense. We have an honest sense of what God is up to and yet, someone else has just as much conviction in a different direction. Disagreement is okay. So our homework as a church is to live in proximity to those with a different opinion. <laughs> to have dinner. With the person that has that candidate sign on their lawn. To have dinner with the person that um, is a bit more cautious or less cautious about pandemic. After you've washed your hands, right? But seriously, is to love one another. And particularly in this case, you know, I mean, that would be good for all of us. But in the church that we can come together and be unified and love one another wholeheartedly amidst our divisions. I pray that that would be true for us at North Harbor, for the church globally, and that that light could spread to all this division that we see around us right now. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. God, would you please reveal to us um, our neighbors, relatives, friends, co-workers, where we could demonstrate love and commitment to one another, that we would make uh, love the greatest of these, all these things, the convictions that we hold, that love would be the greatest. You taught us to love our enemies. To pray for those who persecute us. You, you taught us not to resist the evil person even. These are hard teachings. And it will require more than what we have. We need your spirit to unite us. That your name would be glorified in our lives and our communities. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.